0: So we're in a series where we're looking at the friends of Jesus to kind of learn what we can learn about Jesus by looking at the people that he spent time with. And uh, have you ever had a friend that you thought knew you really, really well, maybe your best friend or somebody that you've just spent years and years with, and then somebody asked them a basic question about you and they got it wrong. You ever had that happen? And you're probably thinking, do you even know me? Do you, do you even listen to me? Have you not? Have you? Have we? You not heard a thing I've said through these years? Jesus had a friend like that, and we're going to study his life here this morning. Now we're talking about the lesser known friends of Jesus here. Uh, people that the reality is, if somebody were to ask you, "Hey, what do you know about this person?" probably most of us could say, "I really don't know much about it." You may know something about James and John and Peter, but when it comes to some of these others, Philip and Nathaniel and. Um, just some of these others, you may you may say, mm, I'm not sure I know too much. So we're gonna we're gonna look at their lives and just see who it is that Jesus selected to be his disciples, his apostles. See who it is that he chose to spend some time with. So as you uh, look at Scripture, each time the twelve apostles are mentioned, uh, Philip is always the fifth one mentioned. Uh, Philip was a Jewish man born born in Bethsaida, uh, just as Peter, Andrew, James, and John were. Uh, everything that we know about Philip, we we find in the book of John. Uh, usually, Philip is associated with Nathaniel, and uh, we're going to look at Nathaniel's life next week. Nathaniel actually went by a different name. Uh, his actual name was, anyone know? Bartholomew, but he went by Nathaniel. I think if my name was Bartholomew, I'd go by Nathaniel too, you know, <laughs> but uh, we're going to look at his life, but we can assume that Nathaniel and Philip were pretty good friends, and... Uh, so we're going to look at scripture here and kind of piece together the different snippets of, of Philip's life. What we learn is that Philip was a pragmatic guy. Uh, uh, he was he was kind of the by the book kind of person. Um, we kind of can pick up or sense the fact he may be one who was a little bit pessimistic. Maybe saw the glass half empty. Um, we don't get the impression that he was a visionary or that he was a big picture thinker. Um, he was the kind of guy that could quickly tell you why this isn't going to work. You know, there's, there's always one or two in the crowd that says, oh, that's not going to work, and here's why. And that was Philip uh, in The Disciple. That was the role that he played. He was always the guy saying how this isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to work. But the thing about Philip is he was somebody who was intent on finding God. He wanted to know God. When Philip first met Christ and recognized him as the Messiah, he went and told his buddy Nathaniel. we see this in John one forty five. it said, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. Being a very practical-minded person, Philip often struggled with walking by faith. <clears throat> you know, some temperaments seem to make it more difficult for people to trust in God especially to trust in a God that they cannot see. And that probably was Philip. Uh, You may know someone in your life that's smart, analytical, and skeptical in general. And I can just tell you, having pastored for 30 years and knowing people for a long time, they're the most challenging ones to lead to Christ. Uh, Why is that? Well, because just in their makeup and demeanor, uh, they're not convinced of things that they cannot see or experience. They they want evidence. They want reproducible results before they believe. But unfortunately for them, God can't be measured in a test tube. He can't be recreated in situations, can't be recreated in a, a laboratory. So oftentimes they struggle to put their faith in God because they just can't overcome the intellectual challenge that they face. That was probably Philip. He wanted to believe, but he struggled with unbelief. He he faced periods of doubt, and uh, sometimes he would question the very existence of God. And yet Jesus chose this man who struggled with faith as one of the 12 and as one of his best friends, one of the 12 apostles, In fact, so much so that he entrusted him the power of attorney after Jesus ascended. He said, you're one of the 12 that I want to go out and to communicate my message. I want you to go out and tell others what I've taught you. You have my authority to go out, represent me, and tell everybody what you've learned from me. And so I think it's pretty amazing that God chose somebody like Philip. Jesus chose Philip and said, I'm going to give you the power to go out to go and represent me. So if you've ever struggled with your faith a little bit, if you've ever really wrestled with, you know, I believe, but I am having a hard time believing, you know, because there are just intellectually, there are some things that I struggle with, well, then you may be able to relate well to Philip here this morning. Uh, I'm going to just give you two tests of faith that Philip faced that you may face, and then we're going to look at how we address those particular tests of faith as we get started. So here's faith test number one. And that is doubting God's provision. Doubting God's provision. So we're back in John chapter 6. We were here last week, but we're going to start there again this week. John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after seeing this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he'd performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to who? Philip, where shall we buy bread for these to eat? For these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, again, this is the feeding of the uh, 5,000 or 10,000 if you add the women and children into it. And uh, we talked about this last week. But now I want you to see Philip's response to Jesus' question. Jesus looked up, saw a great crowd. and He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, why do you think Jesus chose Philip to ask this question to? There were 12 apostles there. He could have chosen any of them, but he looked at Philip, and he said that Philip... Where are we going to get where are we going to get bread for these people I think Jesus asked him this question because Jesus knew that Philip was struggling a little bit with faith in his heart he knew there was a struggle there we knew that he knew, he knew that there were some doubts there because we see in verse 6 it says he asked this only to test him for he already knew what he already had in mind what he was going to do Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already knew how he was going to feed the people. Jesus knew that. He asked the question because he wanted to test Philip. Now, he wasn't testing Philip to see what Philip thought. Jesus already knew what Philip thought. He wasn't asking Philip for a plan because Jesus already had a plan. He was asking and testing Philip to reveal to Philip his lack of faith. He wanted Philip to respond in faith. Jesus asked the question, where should we buy bread or where should we get bread for these people to eat? Now, there was a correct answer to this question. And it didn't have to do with money. It didn't have anything to do with where are we going to find a shop that can make this much food this quickly? Where are we going to get a good deal? Had nothing to do with that. Jesus asked Philip the question. The, The response that Jesus was looking for was for Philip to say, Lord, Clearly, we don't have the food, but I know you can provide for them. I've seen you do it before. In fact, when I was there at the wedding when you turned water into wine. You could turn grass into bread if you wanted to. Lord, I don't know how we're going to feed these people, but I know you do, and I believe that you're going to feed them. So, Lord, you just tell us when you're ready, and we'll get the people lined up. That would have been a response of faith, right? That probably would have been a response that Jesus would have said, you get it. That's not the response that he got instead, what he got was a mathematical calculation. Well, <laughs> oh, I did some quick figuring here, Lord, and here's how much it's going to cost and blah, 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 blah. that's not what Jesus was looking for. but Philip was a pragmatic kind of guy. he had common sense concerns, and so you know, Jesus knew that Philip needed to learn a little bit about faith, and maybe you. Maybe you face the same thing today. Maybe maybe you have a struggle that you face. Maybe you ask yourself, "I don't know how we're going to pay the bills at the end of the month. I, I just don't know how we're going to get everything paid because we have more bills than we have income." Maybe you're like, "I don't know how I'm going to resolve this health issue. What's going to happen there?" Maybe, maybe you're single and you're, you're saying, I'm not sure uh, who I'm going to marry, when I'm going to marry, what's going to happen there. I don't, I, maybe you're, you're like, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be able to afford to retire. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what the faith challenge is that you're facing this morning, but I know this, God is looking at your response. He's looking to see how you're going to respond in faith to the challenge that you're facing. So what is the hurdle? What is the mountain? What is, the, what is the, the challenge that is before you? Maybe it's a relationship with a family member. Maybe it's a, a job situation. How are you going to pray and trust God and see him solve your problem? I'm going to give you four things to do when your faith in God's provision is being challenged. Number one, remember the promises of God. Remember the promises of God The disciples one day came to Jesus and asked him, why is it that we're unable to cast a demon out of this sick child? Jesus said this, Matthew 17, verse 20, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, that's a pretty incredible promise, isn't it? You see, faith is the key to overcoming the impossible. And it isn't the fact that you have to have big faith. He said you can have little faith, but it has to be in a big God, amen? You have to have a little bit of faith in a big God to move mountains and to do the incredible things. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said, if you can. Jesus said, everything's possible to him who believes. How many things did Jesus say are possible to him who believes? All things, right? All things. Mark 11, 24, Jesus, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it and it will be yours. Jesus says, pray and believe. And that's an incredible promise. So why is it that we have such a hard time believing these promises? Why is it that even as I said these things, in your mind, you said, yeah, but? Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, really? Moving a mountain? I mean, Really? You know, in your mind, you've already begun to go through the practical exercises of why that probably wouldn't happen. Jesus said, well, that's why. That's why you weren't able to cast out the demons. Maybe that's why you're not able to resolve the issue that you're facing because you really don't believe. Secondly, you need to reflect on God's faithfulness in the past. Look at how God has already responded in the past. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his sons, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. Psalm 910, those who know your name, trust in you for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And Psalm 36, five, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. God has been faithful to you and to me every day of our lives. We may not always get what we want, but he has been faithful to care for us, right? I mean, do you get everything you want? No, I don't. God doesn't say that he's going to grant us every greed. He's going to give us every nice thing that we want. But he does say he'll take care of our needs. Third, we need to resist the temptation to handle things on our own. Part of the reason we don't see God respond in faith is because we do it ourselves. John fifteen five. I am the vine; you are the branches. Jesus said, "If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit." Look at this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need God, but we sometimes buy into the old American dream. If it's to be, it's up to me. I mean, you got to look out for number one. I mean, who's if you don't do it, who will? Nobody's going to watch your back. You got to watch your own back. You got to take care of yourself, and is. Much machismo as that is, it doesn't lead to a life of faith. It just says you're putting a lot of confidence in your own ability, but not in God's ability. I've seen many people over the years impatiently run ahead of God, only to be sorely disappointed in the end. Some of you are gifted individuals. You're smart, you're talented, you're blessed, you've got good people skills. Here's my counsel to you this morning. Don't think you can do it alone. Don't think you can do it alone. Wait for God's timing. Trust in him. Put your faith in him. I see so many people, they see something they want, and instead of praying it in, instead of talking to God, instead of looking for God to do something amazing in their life, They turn to credit cards, or equity lines, or other unique financial instruments. And then they say, oh, I put it on credit card, but look what the Lord gave me. Uh, No, I think that was, (laughs) I think it was Chase. (laughs) Lord didn't do that. Lord went anywhere near that. But yeah, that's what we think. Sometimes before you just run out and get something, you need to ask yourself, do I really need this? Is this something God would want me to have? So be careful there. Then fourth, respond in humble, humble obedience to his leading. We finished the series on Proverbs, but early on we read one of my favorite passages in this, in this book, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You know, we get into so much trouble when we lean in to our own understanding, when we kind of do things our own way when we rationalize about anything instead of trusting god for his provision we go out and we come up with good reasons why we need this i need this new car lord i need these new clothes lord i need these new toys hey at night i can talk myself into two bowls of ice cream i don't know about you you know i have an ability to rationalize and maybe you do as well but we need to be careful with our rationalization Because the reality is, God is looking for our obedience, not our rationalizations. He wants us to follow Him, He wants us to trust Him. One sign of spiritual maturity is being able to slow down and live our lives while discerning God's will, listening for God's voice, His direction. But often we are moving too fast to hear from God. We are just run, run, run. Pedal to the metal. We only know one speed. Fast forward. And I can, I'll just tell you, it's really hard to hear God at breakneck speed. Sometimes you, you, you just need to take some time off and get alone with God. Spend spend a day with God. Spend some time in prayer. Take a vacation. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. That's philosophy, I've believed, for for years. Slow down. Take a vacation. Listen to God. Maybe the reason you're not experiencing God's blessing and God's provision in your life is you're not doing what God wants you to do. Maybe you just need to slow down and ask God, God, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I fulfilling the purpose for which you created me? We love to say, if I have a pulse, you have a purpose. Well, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Have you discovered that purpose? Do you know what it is God wants you to do? Here's what we know. Blessing follows obedience. So maybe if you're not feeling blessed by God this morning, it's because you're not obeying. So ask God, God, is there an area in my life where I'm not obeying you, that I'm not doing what you want me to do, that I haven't said yes to what you've called me to do? pastor of North Coast Church out in San Diego, Larry Osborne, great guy. I've been out to his church and to his house. Great, great guy. He wrote a book, A Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God. And he said this, I want to read it to you. He said, bottom line, God wants us to trust him. To trust him enough to do what he says, no matter how we feel or how certain we are that things will work out. The Greek word translated faith in our Bibles has nothing to do with a powerful imagination, with eradicating doubt or any form of mind over matter. It has nothing to do with feelings or mental imagery. It has to do with obedience. That's powerful. Are you being obedient to what God has called you to do? Are you in God's will this morning? Have you said yes to God? You want to see God at work in your life, live in obedience to what he's called you to do. You say, I'm not sure what he's called me to do. Then find out what he's called you to do. Spend time in prayer. Ask God. Spend time in his word. The second test of our faith is very, very important. First test was doubting God's provision. The second test of our faith is doubting God's existence. John chapter 14, we'll begin reading in verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father? I uh, that I am in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. This is a very powerful passage. So let me set the stage here for you. Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. They just finished eating the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus had just finished washing the disciples' feet. He'd already uh, pointed out the one who would betray him and and pointed him out by uh, denying Christ. Uh, He then tells them that he's going to go and prepare a place for them, that where he is, they can be also. Tells them that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He reminds them that by knowing Jesus, they know the Father because those two are one. So Jesus here is simply reaffirming what he's been teaching them for the last several years. The Father and the Son are one in essence and in being. And then in one boneheaded moment, Philip makes one of those statements that turns everybody's head. He said, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. After all Jesus had done to demonstrate who he was to the apostles, Philip makes this heartbreaking statement. Jesus must have been so incredibly disappointed that even his own disciples didn't get it. What more could Jesus have done to prove who he was? What did Jesus, how did he respond in verse 9? Jesus said, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Are you kidding me, Philip? After three years, we've walked together. We've had dinner together. I've been to your house. You've been to mine. We've been on the sea together. We've done miracles. You were there at the wedding. You were here. You mean to tell me you don't get it? John MacArthur holds nothing back, man, Philip, he said this, Of all the foolish, impetuous, heartbreakingly ignorant statements that occasionally escape the lips of the disciples, None was more disappointing than Philip's remark in the upper room. Oh, there's a statement for you. For three years, Philip gazed into the face of Jesus. And yet he still didn't get it. Maybe it was his materialism. Maybe it was his skepticism, his pessimism. Maybe it was his obsession with details. Maybe it was his small-mindedness. I don't know what it was that blinded him to who Jesus really was, but here was a man who was asking for what he already had. All right, Jesus, well, we believe you just show us the father and, and I'm all in. He wanted proof of God. He wanted, he wanted Jesus to prove that God existed in order for him to believe in Jesus is like, are you kidding me? What do you think I've been doing for the last three years? All those miracles? You remember the walking on the water and remember all that? But I wonder how many of us are in the same boat today. God has done so much to demonstrate who He is to us, and yet we want just a little more. I mean, I'm almost there, but if you. Shut that light off and turn it back on real quick. Then I'll believe. (laughs) Right? Don't we do that kind of crazy stuff? (laughs) She's like, are you kidding me? God's not going to jump through hoops to satisfy your need for proof. He's not going to make things materialize. He's not going to take things away. He's not going to help you win the lottery. He's not going to do any of those things that we pray for. Because he's already proven his existence. He's already performed countless miracles. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And then he rose from the dead. It was witnessed by hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands. He recorded everything that we need to know in his word. He gave it to us in a book, and he says, if you'll read this book, you'll see God. But Philip wanted physical proof for God's existence. He said, I just, I just want to hear it. I want to I see it. I want to I feel it, taste it, touch it. I just want to know for sure that God is real. And there's so many people like that today that they want to, They'll believe in God as long as they can see him with their eyes or ears or experience him with the nose, mouth, fingers, you know, I, just more than, than God's word. I just need to, I just need to, I need to be able to experience him in my own. Can I ask you this? Have your eyes ever played tricks on you? You ever been to a, a 3D movie and this thing comes out of the stage and it's right here? Have any of you ever done this? Yeah, yeah. what's that all about, right? Did you not know when you put the glasses on what was going to happen? And yet here you are trying to catch this thing coming out of the screen at you. Your eyes are playing tricks on you. You think it's got to be right there. Ears ever play trick on you? Anybody ever hear a, a whistling or a ringing in your ears that nobody else can hear, but you can hear it? Has your sense of smell ever failed you after COVID? Anybody here lose their sense of smell or the taste after COVID? A lot of you have. Anybody ever have your arm fall asleep in the middle of the night? I remember one night I was laying there and my arm was off the side of the bed and I woke up and my arm was completely numb from the shoulder down. And I rolled over and it just kind of did one of these numbers. <laughs> and I'm like, it's the middle of the night, and I raised it up like this. Wow, that is weird. And I let go. It was like a sequoia coming down across my face punched myself right in the nose. (laughs) Like, that was really dumb. Our senses, they can be tricked. You don't need your senses to know that God exists. Trust the word of God over your goofy senses any day of the week. Trust the word of God. Your senses can fail you, but God's word will never fail you. What do you do when you're doubting God's existence? Well, number one, examine the evidence in Scripture. Jesus said, John 5, 39, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. The Word of God testifies about who Jesus is and who God is. The Bible just assumes God's existence. The very first four words, in the beginning, God. That's how it starts. God didn't feel it necessary to record a philosophical answer to prove his own existence. But he did record miracle after miracle after miracle in the Bible in order to demonstrate his power over all of creation and all living things. If you'll read the Bible from cover to cover, you're going to discover an all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present God. That's what you'll discover. He loves you and he wants you to know him. And he's done everything to make it possible for you to have a relationship with him. That's what you'll learn if you study the word of God. If you study it to learn, not to try and prove a point. I don't have time this morning to develop an argument on the infallibility and the inerrancy of the Bible, but I've studied it and I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is God's word and you can trust it. I trust it. Secondly, if you're struggling with whether God really exists, ask God to give you the faith to believe. Ask God for the faith to believe. Be honest with him and tell him that you're struggling with your faith a little bit. I want to believe God, but I'm having a hard time believing. You can tell God because he already knows. Remember, he knew what Philip's response was going to be. And he knows your heart just as well as he knew Philip's. He knows my heart. He knows. The Bible says that if you'll, if you'll draw an eye to God, he'll draw an eye to you. You lean into him, he'll lean into you. He wants to answer your questions, but what you'll find is he's already answered the questions in the word of God. He's already given you the answer right here if you'll just study it. There was a man who was asking for a miracle. And he just was bluntly honest with Jesus. He said this, Mark 9.24, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. You know, I think that's a, good, that's a good passage for us to remember. When we, we, we find our faith getting a little shaky, to just say, God, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Lord, I need your help. I need that faith. Give me your faith. Give me the faith. Third, spend time with people who've spent time with God. Spend time with people who've spent time with... You want to grow in your faith. Spend time with people who know God. It'll grow your faith. Listen, if you want to play golf, who do you think you need to hang around with? Golfers, right? You want to learn how to fish? Who do you think you need to learn hang around with? Fishermen, right? You want to learn how to eat two baskets of chips before your meal? Spend time with me. I can, <laughs> I can help you with that. But if you want to grow your faith, hang around people who are people of faith. People who've taken the time to study the word of God, who have a deep faith in God. People who are willing to share with you and to teach you and to train you. We emphasize connect groups here so much and yet so many people don't sign up. And I kind of just scratched my head. Why? Why not hang around with a group of people who want to know God better? Why not build relationships with people who are on a faith journey and who will help you and that you can help them? Sign up for a connect group. Be part of a faith community. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another toward good love, uh, toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me ask you, do you see the day of the Lord's return approaching? Do you not see the things of the world coming together? We are on the brink of World War III. We, we are, this world is a tinderbox looking for a spark As you see the day approaching, you need to meet more and more together. It isn't about, if you're going into, what am I going to get out of this? You're going into it with the wrong heart attitude. Who might you be able to help? Who might you be able to spur along in their faith journey? There may be somebody in a group that needs to hear your story. So, jump in. Finally, this morning. Respond to the truth you've already received. You see, Philip had what he'd asked for. He wanted to to see God, but he didn't realize he'd been looking at God for the last three years. He'd, He'd seen more of God than almost anybody that's ever walked on the planet. He was friends with Jesus. He just needed to accept it and believe it. Let's go back to our opening passage. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? Let me ask you this question. Have you been in church so long, and yet you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father? I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. What's he saying here? Philip, you have everything you need to believe in me. And some of you have been sitting in church long enough that you have everything you need to believe in him. And yet you haven't, or you don't. Some of you struggle with this tugging in your heart, maybe the Holy Spirit of God taps you on the shoulder and says, you know, you need to, you need to trust him. You need to walk by faith. You need to receive him. Maybe you're here and you're, you have faith, but maybe your faith has been shaken. And it's getting wobbly. Listen, my friends, get back into the word of God. Surround yourself with good and godly people to help you in your faith journey. Some of you this morning have had faith in God, but you've got yourself caught up in things you know you shouldn't be doing. The reality is you need to repent. You need to turn around from the sin that you're doing, the lifestyle that you're leading, the attitudes of your heart. You know you've got caught up in the way of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Maybe, maybe this morning you just need to respond to the Holy Spirit that says you need to knock it off. You need to get serious about your relationship with God. Maybe your faith has been challenged and you're wondering if God has forgotten you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't felt God speak to you in so long you're not even sure what that feels like. Maybe you've never had that experience. Maybe you've never felt like God has talked to you. I'm not even sure what that means or what that looks like. Pray. Say, God, reveal yourself to me through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to not be like Philip, God. I want to see you. I want to know you. I'll tell you what he's going to say. You want to know me? Read my word. Maybe you're here today and you're being tested like Philip was tested. Well, are you passing that test? Are you passing that test? Today's a great day to reaffirm your faith if your faith has grown cold. Today's a great day to put your faith in Christ if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Today's a good day for you to listen to the words of Jesus as he said to Philip, for three years I've shown you everything you've needed to see. What more are you wanting? Some of you, you've taken philosophy classes in college, you've read books, you've been in church, you've been, you've been the skeptic that goes to churches and tries to pick apart their doctrinal statement, and you've, you've gotten caught up in the minutiae of doctrine and missed the big picture of faith in Jesus. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit will just reach down and just tap you on the heart and say, put your faith in me you need to trust me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> it's not easy living in this world, pulled in so many different ways, so many temptations, so many people trying to confuse us. Lord, the enemy, the enemy's powerful, Lord. You know that. God, we need you. We need your power. We need your presence. Father, I pray this morning for someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior. God, I pray they would just cry out to you and God, today would be their day of salvation. They would just cry out, Lord, save me, forgive me of my sins putting my faith and my trust in Jesus and him alone. Save me, Lord, I pray. Lord, there may be someone here today that's been saved for years, but like Philip. When their faith is tested, they fail. They're struggling in their belief and their trust. God, I don't know what part of your word today may have spoken to them, but God, I pray whatever it is that they wouldn't just leave it here in this room, but God, they would they would take it from this place today and ponder it, consider it, pray about it, get alone with you and say, God, I need to deal with this. So Lord, I don't know what the issue is today, who needs what, but God, you do. So reveal yourself in this place this morning into the hearts of each person here today. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.